Well, thank you, Vigo Vin, for the music. And if you don't know who he is, ask your children. My hundredth episode. No small thing. So we're going a little off piece today and bringing you a special episode. And if you're new to The Courageous Mama, welcome to the party. And if you've been here a while, thank you for coming back. And I know that some of you have listened right from that Mother's Day back in 2020 when I posted my first pod. Since then, we've been through the trenches of parenting together and I've been warmed and encouraged by your feedback, your loyalty and your fabulous stories. Thank you. I appreciate everything that you've shared, the challenges and the victories, and I never stop learning. Today, I'm going to answer some questions here on my 100th episode that have been asked of me. But first, a story. As some of you may know, we have two little Dachshans. Basically, I'm a Labrador person and that's where my pride sits. But we have downsized and we have Couscous and Tallulah. And they love to either overwelcome or ferociously guard off anybody who comes to the door. So we try to keep them in the kitchen when people arrive. And we have a habit of referring to them collectively as the ladies. So we also have three foster children under 10 at the moment. And even they go into the garden and they copy what they've seen us do. They clap their hands and they call ladies, ladies, in you come or ladies, dinner time. And the other day, a health visitor and her colleague came to visit our two-year-old. And it was a bit chaotic as Couscous and Tallulah escaped my kitchen barrage and they barked mercilessly as these two women tried to track from the hall through the lounge and through the kitchen barrier and the entrance to the kitchen. Well, the dogs were relentless and you could probably see what's coming here. I clapped my hands together without thinking outside of my norms and called, ladies, ladies, in you come. At which point the two women looked at me like I was socially deranged and obediently came into the kitchen. How do you explain yourself out of that one? Not for the first time, I made a total fool of myself in Fosterland. You may remember the unannounced inspection a couple of years ago. So to today's questions. Number one, what would I see as the most important key to parenting? I think the most important tenet that I could possibly bring you is the one that I hang all else from. And when I first started the parenting scene, I don't know, about 15 years ago, and I started sort of helping people and talking and it grew from there, I found this picture in my mind really early on, and it was of a bridge. And the bridge was co-owned by you and your child. Or quite honestly, this bridge translates to any relationship that you have. You own one half, they own the other. So for the parenting sphere, it's you and your child. And it's really important that at the very beginning, when they're very little, you go over and you help them to tend their side of the bridge. And you might put pot plants there and you clear any rubbish out the way and you sort out and repair and you make sure that it's clear and clean for your children to be able to cross. And even as I speak, I'm holding my hands into an arch and putting my fingertips together and there's my bridge. But as time goes on, you draw back until they are responsible quite early on for looking after their side of the bridge, their side of the relationship. And the temptation for us as parents is to creep over and do their side for them. But stay there, hold your nerve and just make sure that your side is always clear. Because rot can set in, can't it? First, just the tiny little small comments that don't get cleared up. Rust can set in and it can begin to erode in certain areas. Decay, peeling paint, 
Rubbish can build up. Barricades can form between you and your child. Or sometimes they can peel right back and you can want to run over and pull their side of the bridge to match yours. But you've got to hold your nerve and wait there and be consistent. Know your lane. Know what you're supposed to be doing. So that's what I would say is the most important thing. Your connection with your child. That that you don't overcompensate or that you don't pull away. Withdraw a relationship when things don't go your way. So that they get to the end of their side of the bridge and find that it's just a fall. So keeping the bridge together would be the most important aspect of parenting. Number two, what is the question you are most asked? I don't necessarily think there is one question, but I do find that there is one route to all questions. And it's generally, how do I get my child to do what I want them to do? Now, nobody comes and presents it like that. My child isn't doing what I want them to do. Can you make it happen? But If you get underneath it, it, it's really specifically the the issue for all of us in all parenting issues, isn't it? How do I get them not only to do what I want them to do, but to want to do what I want them to do and appreciate it and be grateful for it because it's for their good and they should be delighted about it. Now, whether that's homework or language or attitude or social media, managing your child's emotion, bedtimes, timeliness in general, wiping their hands on their clothes, chewing their sleeves, clearing up, eating up, piano practice, you name it. The issue is we want them to do what we think is probably best for them in the long run or best for just the relationship at this moment or just what I need you to do right now. And it's generally the case that the parent does know what a good choice would be, but the child, they're not necessarily being belligerent. They might just have other ideas. They could be distracted or forgetful. Um, They may be being disobedient or defiant, or perhaps they've just got other things on their mind. Preferences. I'd rather be doing that than practicing my piano. Thank you. But one way or another, it's about the child not making the choice that the parent knows is best for them. That is the question that most people are asking in their hearts, but it will present itself in a million different ways and it's always a good question. And the issue is, I'd like them to choose dot, 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 but they've gone and done dot, dot, dot. And I think it always takes a humble parent to ask a question anyway. But parenting is elusive, isn't it? It starts as I say you do when they're very, very small. But in doing that, we're setting ourselves up for that strike of independence and it's going to come at some time. And for some that comes at two and some a little bit later and we might call it the terrible twos or the terrible teens. But in the end, it's just their attempt to get some agency into their lives that they feel they haven't been given. Sometimes for good and sometimes because we just need to loosen up a little bit or have a rethink about how we present things to them. And that's why people come and ask questions, don't they? Because they know there's probably a way that could have a win-win. And so that's why my whole premise for parenting is choices within the boundaries so that they always feel they've got some control in their lives and that way they're less likely to rebel and our connection can stay in great shape. So whatever the question, I'll always be looking at how do we re-establish the connection? How do we keep the bridge in place at the same time as setting expectations for them? Number, what are we on now? Three or four, I forget. The next question (laughs) What do parents find hardest to do? Well, that's really easy. The hardest thing to do is letting them fail. We hate our children failing for lots of reasons. We love them and we don't want them to fail. We don't want them to have that horrible feeling of disappointment, upset, discomfort, the pain of failure. 
We don't actually sometimes like the reflection that it is on us when it's in a public setting. Let's be honest, that can be part of it, can't it? But we want them to grow, to succeed, to progress, to attain, to achieve and know that wonderful feeling that goes with it. But the irony is that it's in the failure that the lessons are so often learned. It's growing pains. It's the place where we get to separate their failures from thinking that they are a failure. So you failed. You're not a failure. If that doesn't happen over and over and over again in our home where they are loved, then they're not going to learn it well out in the world. And organisations are reporting that the new generation of workforce, their greatest weakness is lack of resilience. So it's possible that we haven't given them what we had. We might have given them lots of things that we didn't have, but what we had was resilience. We've swooped, we've removed obstacles, we've cleared the path, we've basically done their side of the bridge. We've taken away their need to build life coping skills and it stunted their growth. And that's a marvellous feeling in the short term because it takes all the responsibility off them and they can win, win, win. But in the long term, it doesn't prepare them for the road ahead. And the transformation that often happens in the coaching room is that magic moment of realisation from a parent that that discomfort, that mild anxiety or disappointment that they were saving their child from was actually about saving themselves from the experience, from the discomfort, from watching it or being a part of it or causing it. And we end up perceiving that all things that go wrong should be avoidable at all costs. But where's the learning? And this is a hard one lesson I've had to learn and still have to learn over and over again. I don't find it comfortable, but I would say I fairly hardwired it in. So there's no finger pointing here. It's a road I've traveled. It's a human condition for every parent that loves. But if we can convince ourselves that in that moment, in that moment where we want to rescue them and take that pain away from themselves, we might be missing an opportunity to invest in them, not for today, but for tomorrow, for when they're 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, for after we've gone. That's the moment that we're buying into, as uncomfortable as it may be. That's my little toddler you hear running in from nursery with utter joy. I love that. Ah, next question. What do I most regret as a parent? I found this one really hard to answer because I didn't know where to start. Loads, loads of things. What parent wouldn't want to go back and do it all again better? Especially self-reflective parents. If you're someone who, who really kind of looks at yourself objectively, you want to do it better, you want to have another go. But even if we had Groundhog Day and we did it over and over and over again, we'd probably never get it perfect. And the thing is, and this is what comforts me most, we were never supposed to be perfect. If you create perfect parenting, you're going to have a very high benchmark for your child. And they are certainly going to know what failure feels like when they go out into the real world. And they might not be prepared for it because actually perfection is a trap, not a goal. It's a place we get ourselves into thinking that we ought to be. I don't know, do we compare to others? Stay in your lane, do what you're good at, fail at what you fail at, be transparent, let them know that you've gone wrong, be ready with your sorries, connect, reconnect, repair the bridge. Life's a practice and we're all practicing and hopefully getting a little bit better, especially if you listen to podcasts like this. <laughs> but if you do feel you've utterly ruined your chances with your child, it's never too late to build connection. With the right motivation and heart, you can come back into the fray and you can reconnect. Next question, what am I most pleased with? Well, 
I probably quite like this question because it's nice to reflect on those parts, isn't it? I'm pleased with the fact that my children trust me and share their hearts and thoughts. They're not afraid to come if something's difficult or awkward to talk about. There was a stage in life when our eldest was three, we went on a parenting course and we were asked to look at the goal of our parenting. And I remember thinking, what a fascinating question. The goal of parenting. I've never thought about it. I'm just bumbling along. And if you've got my book, you know that it's chapter one and I go in great detail into the goal of parenting. What are you aiming for? For me, trust was right up there. I wanted my children to be able to trust me and share their lives with me. So now that they're 28, 25, 24, 20 and 14, I value that more than words can say. Next question, what's the hardest parenting tool to learn? Well, I think consequences is very effective if used well, but hard to learn because it's hard to move away from your established patterns and it can be a bit of a mess if it's not used well. I have hundreds of great examples of where it does go well. However, there are a couple of common stumbling blocks. And I would say, first of all, we all have inclinations, or shall I call them partialities, in our parenting styles. So on a spectrum, we might lean all the way towards being authoritative or all the way towards being lenient. And wherever you are on that spectrum, it's quite hard to do the counterbalance. So let me give you an example. If a parent has a partiality to being authoritative, then consequences can be misused to be just another form of control. If a parent has a partiality towards rescue and nurture, and of course there's nothing wrong with nurture in and of itself, but I mean an imbalanced bias towards nurture, then consequences can feel cruel and impossible to put into place. I've had parents say to me, I could never do that. I just couldn't do that to my child. And then actually when the behaviour that they don't want to happen is continuing, sometimes they'll come back six months or a year later and say, could we talk about consequences again? So on this, your happy 100th birthday, Mads, what would you like from us? Oh, well, thank you for asking. I would love you to ping your favourite podcast of mine to a friend. I would love you to go down and rate the podcast and make a comment and then more people can find us. So that's what I would love from you if you would be so kind. So whatever direction a parent is coming from, it can take a bit of practice to let the consequence do the teaching. So an authoritative parent might put a consequence in place and let's use something simple here. Let's say they say that the child can go out on Saturday after their homework is done and their chores are done. Now whether going out is a 15 year old meeting their mates in town or whether it's a 10 year old going to football practice or whatever it is that they don't get to go to, it's very hard to not give that to them if you're on the lenient side and it's probably easier if you're on the authoritative side but if you're on the authoritative side it comes to that moment and it's very tempting for that parent to say well I warned you and you haven't done your room and you're not going to get to see your friends and that's what you get when you don't do your chores and I would say to my ears it's like someone having a microphone and shouting anyway and that analogy comes to mind because I went to a quiz night um, on the Bath Road on Sunday night and the guy had a microphone that boomed around the place but on top of that he was yelling down and 
every time he came to the microphone there was this plosive pop and your ears went bang and I found myself thinking you know either yell at us or use the microphone and not both and that's what I would say to an authoritative parent don't come in with sarcasm don't come in with I told you so let the consequence do the teaching and that's where it can go wrong on that side on the lenient side you've got the parent who gives them the consequence and then goes and does the room for them to make sure that they do get to go out on Saturday and that's usually because they're afraid of something and they're afraid that if they put the consequence in place the child will withdraw a relationship and in that case I would say you know are you putting your need for relationship above the child's need to grow and learn and experience responsibility so interestingly for that parent research shows that the child may well be miffed with you in the short run but actually they're more likely to lose respect for the rescuer than they are to lose love for the fair well thought through parent who stands gently by their word what's the hardest thing to teach these are such good questions language attitude theft shouting um, meanness to siblings those character issues that are more nebulous than practical behaviors i'll often have a, a parent relate a situation like that to me and i will want to get to the thing beneath the thing so for example um, they might be talking about language language to a parent language to a sibling and I'll say well and what did you do about it and they'll say I said to them you can't speak to me like that and I'll say can't they and there's that pause and they go ah I guess they can they just did these are the cases where building respect, building self-respect and connection are so important because attitude often comes from somewhere deeper and we'll look back at the bridge and we'll see, you know, where's there an obstacle in the way? Where is the repair that is necessary? Where is that child struggling? Where is the rotten decay on their side of the bridge and maybe shame? So those are the cases where we look at, as I say, the thing beneath the thing and try and find where the rotten rust has taken hold. And it means there's a bit of deeper work to do. It's a bit like um, taking a room right back to the plaster before you decorate rather than just painting over the cracks. What's our toughest challenge in this parenting season? Well, it's interesting to look at the social climate. That's such a good sociological question because it's an ever-changing scene. And the person who asked that has obviously realised that we are evolving, we are changing. Like the dictionary adding new words every year, we are adding new dynamics to our social scene. Um, I remember a few years ago, I used to be asked regularly, in fact, more than once a week, I was speaking at a school or a conference with my colleague Caroline Kelly. And she's a counsellor, so she was coming from the counselling room perspective and sharing the damage that was done through social media. And I was sharing from the parenting perspective, where are we empowered? What can we do? Because there is so much we can do in the parenting sphere and all is not lost. And interestingly, when Caroline would explain the potential damages to mental health, the teachers could see it, hence they were buying us in. But the parents were coming up after and saying, isn't this all a bit exaggerated? Do you really think that that's a thing? And of course, here we are now four or five years down the line, and I don't think anybody would say that's exaggerated. Antidepressant suicide, the heavy waiting lists for counselling tell their own tale, don't they? So I do like looking at the sociological scene and wondering where the influence is coming from. But in the end, I would want to say that no matter what season we're in, whether it's AI or chat, GPT, 
whatever the social issue that is hammering its way into our world, the question underneath it is, where is the influence coming from? And what we want is for the influence to come from the people who have their best interests at heart. And that isn't the internet. It isn't AI. It isn't their peer groups. It's their parents. Or in place of their parents, it's their carer. And so whatever we're looking at sociologically, let's look at how do we gain our influence back? Because things are going to change. But one thing that will never change is that our children are wired wired to be loved and accepted by us they need 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 not want and they don't often share that they want when they get older but need connection with us they need that bridge to be in good place even though they don't always show it so any books or podcasts or intel or conversations that power up your drive to build healthy connection will be your biggest ally in whatever is coming. Whether that is AI, natural disasters, famine, the cost of living, all of these things can be ridden if you can believe that centrally they have a connection magnet that is magnetized towards you. There are so many other questions and I haven't got time for them all, but I'm going to end on this one. What do you wish people asked you? That really got my attention. I thought that was fabulous. What do I wish people asked me? And the answer is this. There isn't necessarily a question I wish people would ask me, but there is a question I think we could all ask ourselves. And that's what is it in us that gets triggered that makes us parent the way that we do if it's causing disconnect. So there are areas that we're just gonna be absolutely brilliant at. Perhaps we we watched our parents do it well, or perhaps we watched our parents do it badly and decided that we were going to do it differently. But we all have triggers. And whether that's making the house look perfect or insisting on the certain way your children behave, or whether it's that um, we're sloppier about some things, or let me think. or whether it's that we mind massively about tidiness to the point of disconnect, or whether it's that we mind massively about timeliness to the point of disconnect, or whether we trigger when our children don't listen to us, and is it because we've got something sensible to say, or is it actually because we've got some pain in that area? There was a place in our lives where we got ignored. So just that question to ask ourselves, where's that coming from? So I know my triggers, and I know that if I'm frustrated or agitated I will ask myself okay what what is it today what what has hit your buttons and I will know what it is and I can also chat about that and I will know that it will be one of two things and so knowing that about yourself helps you not to lean too heavily on your children and understand that actually although that might be something you want to balance out in family life it could also be to do with your over expectation in that area. So rather than that being a question I would want to be asked, it might be a question I'll bounce back to you. And I won't be able to help you answer it necessarily, but I would be able to help you get to the thing beneath the thing. So good, big, incisive questions to be asking on this, our 100th episode. So together with you, I celebrate the fact that we've come this far together and there's so much more that I can learn so I know that there's so much more we can all learn together. So until next time, stay courageous and thank you for listening one more time.